fatherhood. It's how we keep our tribes and families strong. You've landed in the right place if you're ready for dad jokes, tips, and tricks on fun parenting. Also with interviews with some of the coolest dad entrepreneurs we could track down and have them share their strategies to tackling it all in business and life on The Dad Next Door. And now, your host, Mr. Dad Jokes himself, <laughs> Jason Centeno. Did you notice the title that I gave you, The Perfect Dad? Dude, I like that. And your promotion was insane. So when I shared it on Facebook, everybody's like, who's that? Where are you going to be? And this seems to be the place to be, my friend. So first of all, thanks for having me. I appreciate you. You're welcome. But do you notice, like, so I gave every one of the dads, like, a title. And it's a title from a movie switched around. But because you were Storm and it's the perfect storm, I was like, the perfect dad. And then I had the bodybuilding shot. So, of course, you know. People are going to be like, oh, really? So let's hear about that. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of like the synergy of, that's the kind of stuff I like to do. I try to figure out these little Easter eggs and throw them in there and f- see if people figure it out. But I, I think you caught on to that. So that's pretty good. What's your story? How did you go from being the beefcake into being the <laughs> being the guy that promotes the beefcakes? Tell us all about how that happened. I got to tell you, it was an accident. You know, I, I'd love to tell you we do things on purpose and t- sometimes we stumble into that. I had a church group that a once a week meeting and we were talking about how this new division back in 2012 was coming through in the fitness industry. And we're like, this men's physique division is different from bodybuilding. All you do is wear board shorts and and hop on stage and do three poses and you're off and that's it. You know, you just kind of get ripped and it's kind of for the smaller guys. You don't have to wear those posing trunks. And we're like, all right, man, let's do it. That wasn't called like a fitness model. They gave you like a male name for that. Yeah, it was. Uh, well, we, we are called fitness models these days, not beefcake for sure. <laughs> it was hilarious. First weekend, we're all committed to it, all jacked up. At 5 a.m., we're at the gym. And sure enough, about a week later, I am the only one left. Everybody else just decided to abandon that idea. Their wives were like, yeah, that's not a good idea. And my wife was like, well, if you're going to commit to it, just do it. Hired a coach, got a chance to compete for a little bit, ran the circuit, turned pro. I uh, got a chance to make my pro debut in Hawaii in 2018 and won my uh, won my pro division there. And then also in Oklahoma, won the Oklahoma pro. And then in 2018, just to kind of tie a bow around it, we went to our world championships and uh, took top five. That was it. And I decided I wanted to be on the other side. I wanted to be able to impact and influence athletes who were up and coming. So I decided to get into the event promotion and uh, start promoting shows and direct states to uh, generate new shows, new promoters, and really grow the organization that way. So what were you doing right before you got, I guess, approached this model? Were you like working at McDonald's or something? Were you like, what were you hustling protein shakes? Was you a surfer? Give me that. Dude, it was out of the back of the car, man. Uh, This protein, I was just opening up the back, taking a look around. We had some uh, black market deals that we got done. And um, my wife... (laughs) (laughs) My wife and I have a business that we've had for 26 years. And so we've worked together to build a book of business and we have a lot of retention with our clients. So that really kind of pays the bills. Um, This was a passion project, believe it or not, and ended up turning into something that became a career. So uh, we sold Cutco Knives and uh, I ran an office for for 20 plus years. And then I got to the real estate uh, type for closing gifts. And we just serve all of our real estate agents with their closing gifts, which they order every six months. And when you build that kind of a business, it's great just to be able to service them and be able to uh, use that to, you know, pour back into the family and look at other business ventures. So you went from a six pack of knives to a six pack of abs. I get you, brother. 
Yes. Different kind of cuts. Six pack about. Of beer. You went into the different kind of cuts, like these cuts, right? So I feel you, I feel you. So um, that business, that that kind of jump, event coordination is no joke. I mean, that is a lot. And now, I mean, we were talking and, and you know, you started with, well, you said four, but then now you're up to almost 12. So you're almost up to one a month. Like you're, you're doing like 11 a year now. Yeah. So the history is really interesting. Um, when I was still competing, I was like, man, I really want to run a show. And people were like, yeah, you need to run your own show. And I'm like, cool, this sounds pretty easy. You put out some flyers and, you know, people show up to your event. Mm -mm. This took a year to, to put together. And so, uh, you know, I actually did it on Facebook. I said, hey, guys, what should the show name be? Should it be Texas Takeover? Should And everybody's like, it needs to have Storm in it. And so I said, guys, just give me the name and let's birth this thing. And so Storm Classic came about. And that's the hat that I'm wearing. So you'll see the uh, the logo on it, funny enough. And in uh, in 2019, it took a year uh, to get a chance to promote and do. We had our first show. It became the largest in the history of our organization. And so I think we did a couple of things right. I will tell you it was a 40-hour-a-week gig for about 36 to 40 weeks straight, figuring out who the staff members were going to be, what awards worked, how to register athletes, get the insurance, find the venue, uh, get our tanners and makeup and hair in our hotel and in our it just everything under the sun was really um, a, a great learning experience. And I loved it so much. We decided to have it a second year, which was back, uh, you know, from 2019 to 2020. We had it at the same venue and it actually in COVID grew by 85 percent. So we had well over 200 athletes. It was the largest show in history to date now as we keep out doing ourselves and then uh, when 2021 came, we rolled the dice and we said, we don't know how this is going to look. Uh, our president came to me and, and we were in Las Vegas in February of last year. And he goes, would you like to take this show over? I'm not going to be promoting shows anymore, but we want this show to be in good hands. And I said, absolutely. So we are uh, running an event now in November. It's going to be a two day event and two separate shows back to back. So it's going to be at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. When we went out there, we happened to have a connection that was just kind of by fate. We signed a contract for uh, those two-day shows. And then we also have one in Phoenix, Arizona, which is first on the docket this year, which is going to be August 28th in Scottsdale, Arizona. So somebody once told me, they go, if you're going to do something, you might as well go big. And so far, it looks uh, to be shaping up like an incredible year. So because we're both entrepreneurs here. We don't need to talk exact figures, but what are all the ways that you monetize shows now? Like from the beginning, it was probably just getting a couple sponsors to pay for the place and hoping you break even and then excuse me, ticket sales and maybe some concessions and stuff like that. With this much activity that you're talking about right now, I mean, are you getting on TV yet? Are you getting televised like ESPN kind of stuff? Anything close to that? Are you going to produce your own stuff? Are you going to make a sitcom out of this thing? What are we going to do here, man? Well, we were two steps ahead of you, my friend. And this year we decided we might not have an audience at a show where we might have to cancel the show. So what if that happens? And that was a very real prospect. And I said, okay, let's get a production crew and let's live stream this event all around the world. And so the first year we did it, we did not live stream it. We didn't video it. We didn't get any footage. And that was a big lesson learned because we couldn't take away and use that for future promotion. So what we did, Reality of Wrestling is uh, located in Texas City, Texas. And Booker T, five-time champion and, you know, Hall of Famer. This is a guy who has an arena where he holds his wrestling events. And the venue sets up perfectly for a bodybuilding event. 
Well, they're very big on YouTube. They have well over 400,000 subscribers. They do shows every other week and their production crew, uh, I happened to know and I said, hey, can you guys live stream this thing all around the world when we do it? And sure enough, I got a platform. They had three cameras. They produced everything and it hit seven countries. It hit 38 states. No, it's not on ESPN. We're not signing contracts uh, just yet. I don't think we will. I think we're going to keep it at the live stream session. So that way people you know, who are competing, who have family all over the world who can't come in to physically see the show, we were really doing it for them. And uh, they really enjoyed, they got the entertainment and the value of being able to see their friends, their family competing, really sharing the moment with them. And um, it's, uh, it's going to be a go for the next four events. So they will be live streamed. They will not be televised. But I think YouTube has been a big part of that, uh, you know, with StreamYard and, and, you know, Zoom and the way that we do things virtually, we were able to pivot and we were also able to make it worthwhile financially to be able to give something that people wanted. And we just went ahead and made it happen. You know, it would be a good idea, right? So, so people, <laughs> the conversation we had before this, so see, this is why you guys got to be in the in crowd and to hear the conversations before the conversations. So Matt, we were talking about, cause we met on clubhouse, we're in these dad groups, right? So we're going to, we're going to touch on that. But Matt was sharing with me how he he's friends with Dane Cook now. I don't know if you guys know who Dane Cook is, but he's a, co a comedian and you know, I feel like he should make a comeback. If he is not already on that path, he should make one, but you should see if he wants to interview people in his own style at these classics while you live stream, get a little of that, get, get them back into action, beat off some of that rust, plus get some some views, do a little comedy, maybe, you know, like um, do a dad bod competition even on the side. <laughs> you got all these dads in this group now. I mean, you can, there's a whole subculture here of just a lot. See, this is why you should hire me. I should help you with your events. That's what I'm saying. That's Are you my PR, my hype guy, Jason? Because, I mean, if that's the case, man, hired, done. Let me sign it up. I and remember, this is the thing. Like, I, I take Bitcoin. I can't. I can't do contracts. <laughs> okay. So here's my next question: Do you take Ethereum? Because I sold all my Bitcoin at six thousand dollars a coin, and then it shot up to fifty-eight grand, of course. And that's so I'm good. all in Ethereum. So are you okay with that? Yeah, F is good. You know, you can make some NFTs. In fact, you could just sell some old poses of yours as an NFT. Get some extra F to sponsor sponsor yourself and go into some, you know, a, a calendar of you back in your prime with the board shorts. Just the evolution of, of the stormtrooper whole thing. Man, I mean, there, there's a lot you could do now these days. I mean, there's the, the world is wide open for opportunities. You just got to fixate on a couple of them and, and hammer them down. But I mean, you know, you've done that already. So I know you got three children. Um, first thing, I guess, um, does entrepreneurship run in your family? Was that your father, your grandfather, uncles, any, any, Anything coming down from up above filter down to you or or how, how'd that work? Great question. You know, ironically, we're first gen entrepreneurs with both um, my wife and me. Uh, you know, just a little bit of a background. My dad was a, an airline pilot. My grandfather was an airline pilot. My grandmother was a travel agent and my mom worked in restaurants. And then she became a secretary and then an executive assistant. So they were all salaried nine to five people. Uh, we didn't really understand what business was about. And when I was 18 years old, I knew that I wanted to do more than just sit behind a desk, fly an airplane around. I wanted to do something where it was my own. I never wanted to work for anybody else. And that was one thing that I believe once you learn how to do and learn the basic principles and learn the concepts and understand those things, you can apply it to any business that you want to do. You just have to find what passion you're in. And, you know, my wife comes from, you know, kind of the same background. In fact, that they were all salaried employees and she had the gift of gab 
and also being able to be highly relational with people. And, and that definitely helps in business when you have rapport and you have not only relational business, but also transactional and people who continue to come back to you because you can build trust and the integrity really shows through. So it didn't run in the family. We're kind of first generation. And now our kids that you mentioned, Jason, is uh, is something that my kids are coming home with money. And I'm like, what are you doing? They're like, well, we're selling slime liquors. What the heck is a slime liquor? Well, they're making these things in the kitchen and they're making food coloring and, and dye everywhere. And they're selling lemonade on the corner. They are entrepreneurs at heart. And so I'm kind of a proud papa man, they are making more money than I am in some cases. So I don't know how they're doing it, but my son is making appearances at seven years old. He goes, hey, by the way, my friend said he'll give me 10 bucks if I come over and play with him. I'm like, that's the spirit, son. So I think we're doing something right, man. Got you a little Alex P. Keaton there. If you guys know who that was from back in the day, just coming in, suit and tie. You know, he might start making some little supplements in the kitchen. Maybe you got to get him to make some... um some power pops or something. You can sell them at your event, put them out there in the corner. These uh, athletes need a little, a little, um, what do you call it? An energy boost or something. And you, and you could taste like whatever, but they, you know, when you're an athlete, if anything has any taste, you're happy to get it. So if they get a little sugar in their uh, power drink. They're happy, especially at that point. So yeah, if you could paint anything, what would you paint? My car. I mean, probably body paint a woman if I could get away with it. All right. <laughs> what celebrity annoys you the most? Gwyneth Paltrow. What's the most interesting thing you have in your wallet? Money. What's the meanest thing you've ever said to someone? <laughs> Can we say profane words on here? I actually mean. told somebody they're ugly. That's like such a four-year-old to anybody kind of insult. <laughs> you ugly. Your mom said you ugly. They got even songs for that thing. All right. If you could get a yacht, what would you call it? Fitnautic. Nice. That's a nice little play on words. All right. That's it for your rapid fire questions. You got to. So what's your daily routine look like? And I know you better say clubhouse because because <laughs> you because you live on there now. So that's kind of how we met. And I got to tell you, I am an addict. We just did a room yesterday that talked about FOMO and clubhouse addiction. And it is a real thing. Got on January 21st. And here's how my day starts. You're not going to believe me. I set my alarm for 6.58 a.m. And I hope this isn't published worldwide because people are going to know all the business now because I'm about to give you the goods. 6.58 a.m., the alarm goes off. I get up. 7 a.m. is my first room. 7 a.m. in the miracle morning, we go from 7 to 9 a.m. 9.05 is the are you man enough room. We go from 9.05 to typically, and this is central time, 9.05 to about 10.30, 11 o'clock. And then what I'll do is I'll float through rooms during the day and then I'll find my evening rooms about 8 p.m. And then I'll be on those until about 11 p.m., maybe midnight, depending. And then I get up and do it all over again. Now, with that being said, I do take the time to go to the gym during the day and I've got my ear pods in. I, I do listen to a lot of Clubhouse. I don't like to participate during the day, but I like to listen because it's like live podcasting and you can pick what you want to listen to and it's all in real time. I do also eat. I do also take a shower. So I want to make sure those things are clear in the routine. I do function outside of Clubhouse. That is something that has been a big investment because uh, it's really changing lives. And that's how we're getting a chance to meet great people like you. So, so your life is a club sandwich. You got it in the morning and at night. So who am I stealing you from right now? Like what room? I don't know what's going on. I saw a couple. I, I, I jumped into a room with, uh, with Greg Luganis right before I got on here. Uh, he is uh, going to be a guest on my podcast. So it's nice to know some Olympians, some professional athletes, even some people. I did get a chance to hear Ed Snowden yesterday, which if you've ever seen the, the movie Snowden, it was some next 
level stuff. I was like insanely fascinated. And I don't, I don't use that word. I don't think I've ever used that word in my 44 years of being here. I was absolutely enthralled and I could not get away from him the way he was talking and just how that whole national security thing went. He actually had to hide his identity so he couldn't be tracked just to be on the call. It was insane stuff, dude. Yeah, I, from I did catch that movie and I did notice like he gets out there, but he definitely hides all traces of himself. And, you know, unfortunately, that's it's a shame, but that's what you got to do because, you know, pissed a lot of people off and he's a hero. I mean, straight up, you know, I'm, I joke about Clubhouse, but look, I, I, get, I agree. You can make a lot of valuable relationships on there. This is a valuable one. And all the all the dad rooms like I'm glad I can go and pop in and, you know, jump into this one or that one. I think I'm, um, I think I've been on to, are you mad enough a couple of times? And I think every once in a while, when I get on there, I, sometimes I shake up a room with some messed up, not messed up questions, but everybody's real. Not, I, I want to say you should be positive. We're there to uplift each other, but sometimes they don't want to talk about like the, you know, for one of a better word, when you got to give out the ass whoopings at home and all that other stuff. And so all that, everybody starts dancing around the way to say things. And they don't want to be the one that, that, you know, in the Spanish culture, it's like la chancleta, la, la correa, you know, talk about that stuff that comes into play. But here's the thing, cultural differences between people, you got this cancel culture, American, you got to be one way, you got to watch what you say. And then you got everybody else that don't care about that and will say what they want to say. And fortunately, most of those people are people of color like myself. So we can get away with it because if you say anything to us about it, then we're going to call you a racist. <laughs> And throw it back on you. So we're the ones I, I, I take upon myself the mantle of being the hero that will say what you guys want to say sometimes, but you can't because you might get in trouble for it. And I'm going to say it for you because somebody should say it. Shouldn't be afraid to say what you want to say. And if somebody gets mad about it, the hell with them. So anyway, but I do love those rooms and I do meet some great guys like yourself and have some great conversations. And like I said, you sometimes meet some famous people. You end up, you never know who you end up vibing with. Like it's really, really crazy how that platform has just connected people in a way that never would have never would have imagined. And hopefully that doesn't go away when they change to Android, but we'll see. I don't know, because, you know, it, it has changed rapidly since it started. But, you know, it's a good thing. So what does your best dad life look like outside of all that? Mm, good question. But I have to turn the question back on you. You ever been kicked out of a clubhouse room? Mm. I've been dumped to the audience, but never completely out. And then who's the coolest person you met on Clubhouse? This is a loaded question. Mm, myself. <laughs> see, how, see how I turned that around? Um, I'm trying to remember. Um, I can't say I met them. I want to say there was a room with Jamie Foxx in it that I just loved hearing his stories because of the way he brought other people into his stories that were actually there. You know what? It's between his room and... Rob Weiss, which was, he's the guy who, a director of um, Entourage and and some other stuff like Ballers, because it just reminds me of all the guys back home and the way they talk and everything's just like F this, F that. And it's this real naturally guy, like, you know, no apologies, you know, we're not trying to dance around any kind of things that might go on. It's just, it is what it is. And you got to deal with it. Like, he, like, he's like, almost like Ari in real life. Like he's just saying whatever he wants to say which I also admire. So Ari Gold, that would th that would be the one I wanted to meet on there if he was an Ari Gold character. Actually, somebody imitating Gary V was pretty funny. He was a Gary V impersonator. Did you ever come in his room? I he heard was, him and I couldn't believe it. He was spot on, dude. 
he sounded just like him and you could just hit him with anything and he would come up with a Gary V ism for it. And it was just, I just, I, I think I, I, I reached out to my Instagram. I was like, that was a good riff you did there for a while. He was like, thank you. I was like, I got to remember that for the next time. Maybe I'll hire you probably way more than that. Some good relationships, some business relationships and just, you know, entertaining wise, I think those would be my top three. How about you? Yeah, man, that's a toughie. I've never been kicked out of a room. I have been moved down to an audience. Um, I accidentally got modded on a really big stage and they realized it wasn't the right mat. So they invited me and put me as a co-host and they're like, nope, that's not the one we were looking for because there's a lot of mats on the platform. Uh, you know, just the people that we get a chance to hang out with, it's amazing the proximity that we're able to get instant access without having to go through gatekeepers or managers or anything like that. And uh, they're real relationships. You don't, in real time, you don't get to talk to people like that. You know, usually they have some sort of barrier or layer of protection out in real life. If you try to get them on a phone call, that's never going to happen. And, uh, you know, uh, I would say that Flex Wheeler has been one of the amazing gentlemen that I've had the pleasure of getting a chance to, to mod rooms with. And, you know, this has led into many different, uh, you know, in our industry, in the bodybuilding industry, these guys are legends. These guys really trailblazed and set the tone for the entire industry and the way it was going what we didn't want to have, what we now have. And I believe that, uh, you know, as we continue, we're going to meet more people, especially as more people are onboarded with Android, as you were talking about. I just can't wait to see who it is. I know Justin Bieber came on and uh, I wasn't in his room, but everybody was talking about that for days. They're still talking about it. And um, I had uh, Tori Spelling and Paris Hilton in one of the rooms and then they started following and you know, it, it's it's kind of crazy how we get a chance to kind of be in this maze of what we call clubhouse and uh, and make these kind of connections. Agreed, agreed. So, because we kind of jumped off the question, I just want to know, like your your day as a dad, like what does that look like for you? Because we just talked about our stuff, but you know, I got six kids, you got three. How do we fit them in? How do we, you know, how are we being congruent with being good dads, etc.? What does that look like for you? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And uh, now that we had the fun questions, we'll get serious for a second. Let me get my serious face on. It's uh, it's funny because the kids get up about seven o'clock. This is a daily routine that we do. We fight with them for about 30 minutes to get dressed and eat their breakfast, push them out the door. And at about 8.15, either my wife takes them or, or, or I'm home and we get a chance to start our real day, right? So we have that interaction with them for the morning. And when they get off the bus, they get home about 345. Uh, either we're going to martial arts or some sort of practice. Uh, we have gymnastics and uh, we're looking to introduce baseball for our son. So we have two parents and three people doing three different things. That's fun. The martial arts thing I, I do with my daughter because uh, I thought it was important that not only that we model, you know, something for our kids, we also get a chance to do it with them. You know, the one thing that I wanted as a as a kid and as a child, I wanted to be able to participate in things with my father as opposed to just do something, have him be in the stands and, you know, try and try and make him proud. Right. And so after my parents got divorced, he wasn't in the stands. He didn't come to events. And so it actually kind of lit a fire under me to try and be my best. So at least when I did talk to him over the phone or when maybe when I saw him on a vacation or a summer. I would be able to tell him what we accomplished, right? So he would be proud and he would have that respect for his son. My uh, my kids, we like to, uh, we kind of like to let them kind of take on their own identity. And my daughter is incredibly competitive. We're getting our black belts here in a few months. And uh, that's my oldest daughter who's 10. Uh, we do that twice a week. So on a Monday and a Wednesday night, 
we get a chance to do that. And when they get home from 3.45 to about 8.30, we get some some quality time. So today we went swimming right after they got off the bus and we got a chance to throw the football around a little bit. And, um, you know, we get a chance to sit down and read, uh, you know, play games, do the kind of things that families I've always wanted to have done. And so uh, eating dinner is uh, definitely a challenge sometimes when we're going so many different directions. We try and spend the weekends uh, if we're not traveling together just a little bit of downtime, decompress, enjoy each other's company, try not to get on each other's nerves and just do things that are engaging and hopefully are stimulating to them. Because we understand uh, Jim Shields uh, wrote 18 summers, right? We get 18 summers with our kids. And right now I only have eight left with my oldest daughter. And so really she's 18 and she probably doesn't, and when she's a teenager, doesn't want to do much with mom and dad anymore. She's got her own set of friends. And so as this, uh, you know, I think about, a little uh, a little hourglass being turned and all of this sand is slowly trickling down and we can't stop it. We can't reverse it back, right? To say, hey, just give me a little bit more time. Once that thing is turned over, it's going. You know, time is indiscriminate. And I, I just want to value and treasure these times. So that way, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years down the road, hopefully my daughters and my son can come back to me and said, dad, you did the best you could. We enjoyed what you did. We appreciate you. We love you. We respect you. Uh, and I want them to be able to hopefully do that with their families when they have, you know, kids and we have grandkids that are coming over. We get to enjoy the grandkids because we can send them home at any given time. We don't have to have them 24 seven, which I know it's a blessing and a curse at the same time, you know, and, uh, and teaching them hopefully the right core values and really the right way to treat people and the way to live. Yep. I got serious on you, man. I'm sorry. We all have to figure out our own way doing it. But like you just said, there's the mad rush in the morning and usually the mad rush when they get home because there's like, all right, you got to get all these things done so we can kind of get to the fun stuff like relaxing or playing or whatever. So it's get out the door and um, come home and get your homework done. And then if, you know, depending on the baths, like, you know, I got double the amount. So depending on who's behaved, who didn't get in trouble in school, you know, if it's the weekend or not, or you got to do homework tomorrow. But this week we had a pretty good, um, like I said, it was my wife's birthday. So I kind of like, I do birthday weeks cause I don't think you could get it all in one day. And at the end of the day, yeah, you make your own rules. Right. So we took extra time with family. My, you know, my parents were here. My son got to play pool and he started, he started whooping everybody behind on the pool table. So that's good. And then I'm, you know, I'm good. You know what I mean? Get, pick up a skill. Go ahead. If I don't have to, be on top of it because he's he always this one always wants all the attention and I got girls so there's already gonna be a fight but my oldest doesn't care for the attention he's hardly around so he's I only got two more summers with him but he's already kind of starting to fade out so I just I just try to grab what I can with who I can and um live to the best and then if I have uh you know responsibilities get them in when I can get them in and I've just gotten to the point where it's like day by day, do everything you can in that day. Don't sweat yesterday. Don't try to predict tomorrow. Go at it. Go after it today as much as you can. And then, you know, tomorrow is another day, hopefully. And that's it. So I'm, I'm really been living pretty day to day lately. So, I mean, that, like I said, everybody, uh, everybody's different. If you have certain goals or, or um, other things that you bigger responsibilities, like events and you answer to a lot of people, you can't just let that, not be addressed because you're the bottleneck sometimes. So 
knowing that I don't get involved with too many of those things. And when I do, I try to allow, you know, try to figure out better times to address those kind of things or get ahead of them the night before or the, or, or in the evening. But, you know, everybody's got to find their groove, like you said. So, um, well, I want to touch on something if you don't mind, because my, my daughter competes in kids fitness and, uh, it's cool because we actually have six to 16 year old categories. And that's one thing that I said, if we're going to do this show, I want to create something for kids so they can go alongside with their parents if they choose to compete and the kids want to compete. Interestingly enough, all the kids, we had six the first year, we had 11 the second year. We're going to have close to 30 this year where they can do martial arts, gymnastics and things like that. And, you know, I guess those are the moments that we're able to capture. You know, we have pro photographers and second and third shoots who can capture those moments and you know, Jason, when you brought that about, you said you had two summers with your son left. You know, you've got six kids. And, you know, one of the things that I can tell you that I'm going to miss in the memories is when we were yelling and screaming, when the hallways are quiet, what are we going to do and how are we going to act? Right. Because they say that, you know, in marriage, we talk about year seven and nine as being that death zone for a lot of, you know, couples who struggle because that's about the time they're having newborns and they require a lot more attention. And then you're 21 to 23. Those are the times where they become empty nesters. So what happens when you become an empty nester? What's left of your relationship with your spouse? Did you continue to date each other? Did you continue to stay interested? And, you know, with the heavy travel load, you're right. It is kind of a front loaded situation. So we have to do that. And this is the bottleneck. When I'm away, I want to miss those kids. I want to be able to come home and watch them sleep for two or three minutes because that's what gives me peace. And I think that every relationship is different with our kids. And I think we're going to be able to cherish those moments and hopefully pull those moments back when we need them the most, when we question what we're doing or why we're doing it. That's really my why. And uh, I just wanted to interject that in there because I believe that uh, we can get so caught up with the stuff. We can cut loose and have fun. And a lot of times it's something where we don't realize when we snap our fingers, five years is gone. We don't get that back. So it's important to pay attention to the now as well. Agreed. Agreed. Um, like, that's like I said, I just, I try, I try to be conscious of it as, as much as possible. And again, you're going to slip up, but just knowing is half the battle. And then it's just the, the other half is, you know, doing something about it as much as you can. So what's one weird thing people don't know about you? I like pickles and chocolate together. Uh, that's right. You did say that. And I was trying to, I was wondering, and you said peanut butter together too, right? Pickles, peanut butter, and chocolate. Dude, I got to tell you, a Hershey's bar, and then you dip it into some good peanut butter, take a bite of that, polish that thing off, and have a pickle to go with it to wash it down. You can't go wrong. And my wife, when she was uh, pregnant, you know, had her cravings, and I think I relived her cravings. She didn't have as many as I had, and she's looking at me like I'm absolutely crazy. And I'm like, hey, if the taste buds want it, the taste buds got it. So there you go. There's the weirdness for uh, for you this fine evening. I I, uh, I will say this. I used to call that sympathetic pregnancy because when they get big, you get big too, right? But I never heard of the sympathetic cravings or you had to take it. You had to go and uh, take it to another level with the pickle thing. Oh. But that's, that's not to say I would ever try it. I'm a fan of the chocolate and the peanut butter and I do like pickles. I just never had them all together. So, And I do like sweet pickles, so I can't imagine it would be that terrible. And fried pickles are pretty good too. So. All right. Next podcast you do, I'm expecting a live report because I'm going to tune in to see if you do it. Um, then I'll probably lose. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. So it's it's cool that you brought that up. So it, 
I didn't mean to gloss over it. Is your daughter competing in this new category then? You said since she's doing the fitness thing? She's uh, she's done it two years in a row, and she'll okay. do it for the third year this year. She's actually wanting to go out to Arizona and have a kids' fitness division there. And, and I'm allowed to do it since they're my shows and my productions. It's just a question of we're at a resort and a casino. I'm not so sure six to 16-year-olds, it's going to be age-appropriate for that you know venue or setting. Uh, where we do it in Texas, it's totally cool because where we have our event is a staycation. It's like a family resort. Moody Gardens has like water parks, Schlitterbahn, you know, just great things for families. So it really is more appropriate for that. This will be her third year competing. She's always my first competitor to sign up. And she takes such pride in ownership. And she brags to all her friends at school that she gets a chance to do the Storm Classic. And she wears all the shirts and the merchandising and the, the hats. And she just thinks it's the best thing since sliced bread. So regarding the casino thing, I think casinos have gotten a lot more family friendly, number one. And number two, do this with your daughter one day. So I'm going to tell you a story I did in a casino, and it was the funnest thing I ever did. So you know when you go to casinos, you have a lot of older people. And so they actually have for rent those little scooter carts that they get around with. Yeah. So I decided to rent one for myself anyway, even though I wasn't older. And it was like, yeah, $40 a night. Best $40 I ever spent. I rode that son of a bitch everywhere. I in the elevator through the casino floor. I got dressed up and took it to the club. I rode my wife on it. I parked it outside the club and took the key. I watched as everybody was complaining about it. It was in the way. Who's this, this piece of crap? But they couldn't move it. It was too heavy. When I came out, I got back on it and rode away. And I had it for 24 hours. So the next day, I took my kids and I was whipping through the whole casino as fast as I possibly could with them riding on it. So what I was going to say is the next time you go to a casino, take your daughter out on a cart have some fun with that sucker for do as much as you can with it she'll remember forever because there's pictures of that night floating around other places and every time i see them i laugh because people are like wait a minute that, that you know just i forgot i forgot you did that and it was just some funny stuff i did so fun in a casino that's what i would do because i don't gamble like that like i would just i if i go it's just like it'll be nickel slots or something and it'll be go to eat and club and environment and shows and stuff like that but the gambling isn't really me so that was kind of my fun Something, something to try out when the next time you go to one. So what casino was it, if you don't mind me asking? Do you remember? I want to. It was in or Atlantic City. It was Borgata, I want to say. All yeah. right. Cool. So that's not a common one. I imagine most of them have it. I also met Trump at his casino long, long ago, before way before he was president. Another funny story. See, this this turned into this went totally sideways, but so what? Come on, keep going. A <laughs> friend had a bachelor party or something. Yeah, I think it was. And um, we're waiting on a table in one of his in, in Atlantic City. I forget. Oh, Taj Mahal. So we're waiting. And, uh, you know, my friend's kind of a baller. He's like, yeah, I got us a good table. Blah, blah, blah. We got to wait a minute. They said there's somebody's at the table, but they're getting ready for us. So we're sitting there and the club is bumping. And we're like, next thing you know, here he comes with a couple people. And he's like, he pats me on the shoulder. He's like, thanks for waiting, guys. And he keeps going. I'm like. Oh, that was cool. We, we, <laughs> he, he wasn't mad that we they, he got rushed out of his own table from his own club. He just took off and he was like, I'm out. So that was my one Trump story. Wow. That's and, and that's, why, and that's why I voted for him. Just that one that one exchange right there. He got my <laughs> People were like, how can you vote for him? But like, dude, hear this story. Now you'll know. You're a fan for life now, huh? Fan for life. He just gave up his table for me. So I, I had to re reciprocate. I gave up the table for him in, in the end. Cause they were they they were thinking about running me, but I had a you know I had a decline because I was too busy.
Well, you're the superstar. So, I mean, you know, when, when Jason walks in, people bow and say, you know, hey, we need to get this guy the best table in the house. So I get yeah. you. I get you. Kids stuff. How do you deal with anger? Because, you know, they will make you angry. I don't even know if you can hear this. I'm on a condenser mic right now, but my kids are screaming uh, in the other room. And surprisingly, you might even get a little bit of it. You know, I've learned to um, I've learned that whatever I do and how angry I get is going to be reflected directly in all three of my kids. They don't like it. I grew up with it. And that's something that I think we deal with as men in a certain way where, uh, number one, uh, there's this type. And this is not all men. This is just some men. Right. Um, they have this little pressure valve and they release that pressure valve and allow a lot of the uh, frustrations that, you know, are kind of eating away at them or building up, they're able to get that so it doesn't become a powder keg or explosion. And uh, early on, you know, it was a powder keg for me. I, I internalized it and didn't have that little pressure valve release. And so everything just built and built and built. Finally, where it was just like, okay, I can't take it anymore. We're going ballistic. And, you know, I would say that um, my kids, they were they were more afraid of the voice than anything because they could tell when my face would get red and I would get upset. I think that's important to uh, to really take a step back and see the awareness of number one is why can't I control my emotions or why don't I control my emotions? One of them is disempowering and one is empowering and I can control anything that I do to an extent. And so I had to take a long, hard look in the mirror and say, you know what, this is something that I have to address. And I want to, first of all, you know, tell my kids, this is not acceptable behavior by your father. I need to do a better job. I need to man up. And it's okay to tell your kids when you're wrong. And uh, when they heard that, they were like, oh, okay, so we're allowed to make mistakes. I go, yes, as long as you know it was a mistake and you know what right and wrong is. And if you're not sure, come ask. So that way it wasn't that, you know, man, I really don't know. I'm kind of tiptoeing around daddy or walking on eggshells. That's the kind of relationship I had with my father. And that's not what I want to have with my kids. And I want my kids to feel comfortable enough to come to me. And they also say, you know, anger is justified in ways. I would never get to the point of any physical violence because I don't believe in it. I know some people might, you know, believe a little bit more in that and that's fine. I do think though, that when things happen, when people know they're doing the wrong thing, Anger can play a really good role in lessons learned, and it can be a very good teacher. So if it's used in the right way and it's also explained on maybe why it's being used in the way it's used, it's important to disseminate that information so that way kids can understand it or spouses can understand it, especially when we're human. <laughs> we're going to make mistakes. We're all, you know, it took me a very long time to figure out I'm not going to be perfect, right? Because we always think we are. The inflated ego says, look, what we're doing is justified because we're trying to put food on the table. We've got this expectation of being the leader in the family. And sometimes leading is admitting when we're wrong or when we need to do things differently and keeping everyone involved in a decision as opposed to just making command decisions and running a dictatorship. So, you know, when it comes to the question of anger, um, it is something that is always, I think, going to be a work in progress for men and women alone and even kids. And I see my kids doing a better job of managing it when they feel like something is wrong. And we need to let them know what's acceptable and what's not, and hopefully be able to guide them through that process because we want to be able to have healthy individuals, kids who grow up into adults and know how to deal with that emotion when they feel it. And I think that that's a, a big component and that's a great question that you asked, Jason. 
Yeah, I mean, because like I said, we all deal with it a little bit differently, and and, and myself included. You know, I, my household's always noisy. There's always somebody yelling at somebody else, and it's kind of like, you know, there's the levels of just volume, and then there's the seriousness of the ones that are like, hey, this is really bad. Um, and it's, I know as a kid that with me, you had to give me a reason. And it's not because it was a respect thing. It's because if you're angry, I want to know why, not because you said so. Because if you tell me, then I won't do it again. But if you don't tell me, I'm probably going to do it again because you didn't give me a good enough reason not to. And also another thing I learned was you can do anything you want as long as you're willing to deal with the consequences. So if the consequences is just always going to be yelling, then I can take that. But if you're gonna, if there's going to be a bigger one and you want me to stop, you need to like get into that with me. And it was one of the reasons why I didn't do well on teams and you know, I was more of a solo person or a loner and wasn't in the military, although that probably could have helped some things. But, you know, to my detriment, sometimes it worked against me, too. But I feel like I will do that most of the time and try to give them a reason because I want them to learn something from it. Unfortunately, with kids, sometimes it's like as soon as you say it, it just leaks out the other side. But hopefully one day it resonates. But, yeah. Uh, it, 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 there's you definitely need more than the yelling and the hitting and the and the calmness. You need all you need all the f- colors in the crayon box. Definitely with kids. I mean, you can't just have one or two. You got to have a few. So, agree with you there. You're in a lot of rooms, and and you know, I'm pretty sure you get interviewed a lot now. So, what's one question you wish people would ask you but they never do? And that could be about business or just anything. I think uh, in this whole journey of life, it's like, what do you want out of life? Not very many people ask that question, and I don't think it's ever been asked. And and I think that um, a lot of times, you know, I believe that we're inherently good as people and human beings. And I also believe at the same time, we're inherently flawed. And it's really easy to be selfish. You know, we think about things about us a lot of the times because we operate out of our own bodies and minds, and they're in turn serving others. So, you know, very few people ask us, what is it that you want out of life? You know, you have coaches who are paid to do that, but people who truly care, who have no dog in the fight, they really want to know about you and they're genuine and sincere about building a relationship or a connection. Uh, Those are the type of questions. That one question right there is I wish more people would ask because I love to ask that question of other people. And when I ask it, they can't answer it. It, Let's put it this way. They try and answer it, but you can tell it's a response that they've been programmed to say because they haven't thought about it. So they immediately go into defensive or protection mode or that canned answer that they think that people want to hear. And sometimes it plants a seed with people to say, look, why do I do what I do? Why do I get up every morning and 6.58 a.m. I turn the alarm off and then get on Clubhouse at 7? Well, that's probably not going to be the case five years from now. I'm not going to be doing the same routine. So why am I changing these little things in my life? What is the end goal? And, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, I'm going to answer my own question. I was going to say, you better answer it after you say that. Yeah, and I knew you were going there too. So, you know, I, I thought about the legacy that I was going to live that my father left me. You know, my father passed away last week, four years ago. And I'll never forget the call that I got because I wasn't able to be with him because in three weeks time he was diagnosed and he was done. And my stepmom said, he's probably not going to make it through the night. And um, I thought, wow, 
I'll never see him again. I just saw him, you know, three weeks before and he looked scared. He looked nervous. He didn't know what he believed. Um, I have a faith in God and I know that I was, uh, you know, brought on this earth to serve a purpose. And I think about the legacy that he lived and left. And, um, you know, he did live it every single day. He lived what he thought was going to be the most impactful in this world. Maybe he was, uh, you know, a little bit more introverted. I'm a little bit more extroverted. I believe that, you know, I'm put on this earth to impact people and people are to impact me in a way to where we can live together and we can live productively. And uh, when I'm gone, people will still say, I remember when. People lose relevance the longer time goes on, right? You know, we, we think about the people we lose and in the moment, the gravity of the situation is really heavy and it eventually heals, right? There's a wound there and when it's fresh, it's really sensitive. And then over time, we learn to heal breakups, relationships, people passing away and moving on. And, you know, we, we wonder when our time is up and we don't really know when that is. And I kind of like that. And the reason why is it because it requires to me to live with urgency and importance and to know that, you know, every day I need to do something that hopefully changes something or makes an impact in somebody. And, you know, when my kids have their kids, you know, I might be around, I might not. Uh, you know, when my grandkids have kids, I might be a great grandfather. You never know. It's very hard to see the future and understand what's about to happen. I do know this, though. I do know that there's a lot of mistakes that people make. I probably have made more mistakes than any other 44-year-old on this planet. I also think that there's a lot of good things that we can do. And I want to be remembered for the good things and the things that people talk about in history. You know, you go back hundreds of years, you've got those names, those household names, right? And I don't have to mention any, but I think you could think of your head of two or three who has made an impact in this world, you know, and um, I don't know if I'm ever going to be remembered or for how long, but I do want to be remembered for one thing. I did my best with what I had, and that's basically what I can feel comfortable and rest in peace with. Got it. So for me, so, so. Normally, the question I would ask kind of close to that is how do you want to leave your mark in the world? And you kind of you know, deals with legacy and that kind of stuff. And for me, it's, um, you know, I've, I think I've said it before, but I want to make sure 100 kids are adopted through my influence in my lifetime. So what that looks like, I, I, the more I explain this to people, they start to get it. But like, what does 100 look like? Or am I going to adopt 100 kids? No, unless that's, I mean, it's possible, but I don't see me physically doing that by myself. I would go crazy. Probably wouldn't even know all their names. I'm already bad with names. So I'd probably name them all the same name. I'd be George, the next George Foreman. It'll all be named Jason or something. <laughs> what I mean is I want to inspire other people to, you know, adopt children. And the way I want to do that is I want to help create a hundred tech companies. And of those hundred tech companies, there are, there's obviously going to be a hundred millionaires. And of those hundred millionaires, Probably a percentage of them are going to be dad entrepreneurs, which is why I do this. And those are the guys I want to put that seed in their heart for, because as I've already you know, been able to do with at least a few friends was that it's the dads that normally will take that stuff forward. The, the mothers will talk about it, but the dads have to figure out how to make, you know, oh, what am I going to get? I got to get a bigger car. I got to get a bigger house. They say they do this, but inside they're not like that. They, they need that financial stability in their head as well. So really, that's my secret way in. I try to create these other people that a percentage of them are going to kind of be along that path with me, which is why I do the dad rooms, which is why I do the show, all this other stuff. So I feel like if you can verbalize it like that, it makes it a lot easier because then like a catchphrase or like um, 
like a good neighbor, State Farm is there, something that will just remind somebody in their head real easy. When you get that clear, it's going to be a lot easier for that to be apparent, you know, if that's on your tombstone or whatever. But that's the way I feel like I'm going to leave a mark is by attempting to or surpassing that particular goal. And so everything kind of moves in that direction. And I mean, that's the best way I can, I can put it. And all this is a fun way of doing it because I'm about family. I'm about fun. So both of them have to be there. Right. And whatever that looks like, that's what it looks like. And hopefully the message of the 100, the journey to 100 is what resonates the most because that's easy to remember. So I would just say to anybody out there, like kind of like if that, you know, you want to leave a legacy, you want to leave a mark, come up with some kind of a quick, concise way to frame that idea into like one sentence. And then it'll be a lot easier because people are like, yeah, he did that thing. I mean, the clubhouse rooms is in a way is kind of a version of it, but are you in any masterminds? Yeah. You know, funny you mentioned, I know that we have Jeff Lopez in common and, you know, he's part of dad talk and we've talked and uh, I'm going to get more involved with him. I'm also part of a front row dads uh, group, which uh, John Vroman runs out of Austin, Texas. Uh, we've got 200 members. Yes. So you're going to you're going to get him down with the, the man's purpose one. Like that's his. That's Jeff's. Yes. So um, I believe that, you know, it's important to surround ourselves with people of like minded individuals. And so the more we can be around together to lock arms. I would say the higher quality level of parenting we can have. So yeah, those are the two that I'm really focused on and, and really getting involved in. I've been involved in Front Row Dads for now four and a half, five years at this point. Okay. what And that one, I, I don't know about that one. What's that one about? When I was with a company, uh, this gentleman who I've known now for 20 years, he was an international keynote speaker. He was an author. And he said, look, there is a need for spaces for dads who are struggling, who don't know what to do or how to do it. And we need to provide something with people who are crushing it, not only in business, but crushing it in life. And so if you look up frontrowdads.com, it's all over the place. Um, It's a gentleman uh, by the name of John Vroman. I've met some of my best friends there. And, you know, I've known some of them for just a few years or a few months, short term. Uh, We have virtual events. We'll be in Key West uh, here in about three weeks where we're going to have a three-day immersion, where we can really discuss the things that are on our mind. How do we stay healthy for our kids? You know, uh, not, not only emotionally and spiritually and physically healthy, but how do we deal with the things and the challenges that we're running across? How many people have six kids? How many people don't have any yet and just got married? What are they supposed to expect when they have their first child? You know, how do we deal with finances and wealth and legacy? Um, And, you know, we have these six pillars that we deal with. So it's something that's very comprehensive, something that we continue to stay uh, engaged in and focused in throughout the month. Uh, We have some monthly calls. We have virtual summits. We have in-person meetings. And we also travel the world to get a chance to uh, to lock arms with these people and do life with them. So it's a it's a super cool deal. Sounds good. Sounds like something I would like to uh, starting to get into them now. And the business masterminds is trying to find the time and all this stuff. But uh there's always time for something cool like that, I think. What's your best piece of that life advice to dad entrepreneurs that are out here? And we're coming across so many kinds, so you, you should be good for that. I mean, you know, we're dealing with, we got them groups, we got pastors, we got authors, we got coaches, we got businessmen, um, you know, entrepreneurs of all stripes. I mean, but it's just some some young guy coming in. I think the guys that need it the most, to be honest with you, are the ones that are just new fathers coming in like maybe late 20s, early 30s that have actually been successful at a little business. 
now they have to actually hit the brakes on their, you know, you know, 18 hour days and, you know, go, 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 go lifestyle because you're not going to get sleep anymore. And you got a partner there and that partner is not like going to say, oh yeah, I got this. <laughs> you're like, here, take this baby. I need sleep. Da, 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 da. What would you give to those guys? This is the whole mantra that I think might tie that in. You know, I, the question that I always ask somebody if they're trying to find balance, number one, they're never going to have it. They have to figure out what plates are spinning in the air, what balls they're juggling, how many. And you let a few drop. I always say that. You got a lot of plates. Sometimes a few of them are going to drop. Oh, well, but yep. that's, that's the magic of it. Here's the question that I ask. For people who are successful entrepreneurs, for guys, I ask, are you a businessman with a family or are you a family man with a business? And that usually really hits home when they realize that mo the majority of their time is spent focused on building an empire in business and forgetting about building the empire at home. So I would say that uh, that is actually the mantra of Front Row Dads. I kind of stole that. But when I ask people that, they really take um, that in. And the ones that really hit up, they understand that their priorities need to change. And so I have my business as fourth in line on my priority list. So the first is God, the second is spouse, the third is kids, and the fourth is business. And I know that can be really hard to swallow because it's like, how do you make things function if business is fourth and everything revolves around your business? Well, that's not the case anymore. We have built our business enough and done the heavy lifting, which there are seasons of times that where we focus on that a little bit more. I would just say that, you know, we've kept that at a steady four. And we really like that it's there. So that way we can always continue to, uh, you know, kind of go in between. So hopefully that helps. Why do fathers take an extra pair of socks when they go golfing? I have no idea. In case they get a hole in one. I know that kills at the club. I just cracked myself up. That was great. <laughs> so I give you one for your daughter. Um, it's goofy, but, you know, she's 10. So this should be okay. Why was Cinderella bad at soccer? I was going to say something with a slipper, but I have no idea. She kept running from the ball. That was better than the hole in one. <laughs> Why did a little mermaid wear seashells? I have no idea. She grew out of her bee shells. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, my oldest is in a training bra, so she would probably understand that. <laughs> All right, then. We got two. Two Disney jokes for the price of one. I probably get Damn. you. Well Disney, worth the price of admission. Disney's coming after me. You know, they need they about their money right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, all you entrepreneurs and dadpreneurs. I just wanted to say thanks for listening. Be sure to check out the YouTube channel for past episodes. Show me some love on Facebook and Instagram. And if you really want to be a guest on my show, no problem. Just email the dadnextdoortv at gmail.com and we'll take care of you. All the information you need is on the show notes of this episode. This is Jason, a.k.a. The Dad Next Door, signing out. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>